Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osband, here with my friend, Chavruta Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachat Yavamot, daf Lamed Bet, page 32. Well, we have a new mission on this daf, but before we get to that, I want to read a very interesting short passage here of Rabbah. I'm a Rabbah, Natan Get Lamamaro, who trad Sarata, about he asura, de miklafa bebaalat get. So Rabbah said, if a brother who did ma'amar, right, in the case that was basically described in that previous mission about the three brothers married to three uh, non-sisters, three individual uh, women, right? And then basically gave a get to that wife of the brother who died in order to basically, you know, say, my mamar actually uh, doesn't count for anything, right? Her Sarah, the the co-wife, the rival wife, is actually permitted to the third brother. Now, I'm not going to go through all the details of the case again. That you can work out. But the idea is, is that he can undo his ma'amar essentially by giving this get. And therefore, the third brother, the other, in other words, one brother dies, there's two remaining brothers. That third brother can actually do uh, yibum. okay? But let's say the woman with whom the brother did, you know, did ma'amar with and then got the, the bill of uh, the, 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 the get, she's forbidden to the third brother. So in other words, it's the Sarah that becomes permitted, but not the woman who gets the get. And why is this? Because she might be confused with a woman who actually received an actual get. So even though in cases where Ma'amar wasn't performed, right? If a man gives a Yavama a get, in other words, he didn't do Ma'amar, but he just gave a get to his Yavama as a way of showing, yeah, I'm not, you know, I, we're not gonna, this isn't happening between us. He isn't allowed to then say, oh, you know what? I changed my mind. I wanted to do Yibum. So what it does is, so it's interesting what Rabbi is saying. It doesn't make the person who Mamar was done with uh, that they actually now can do Yibum with the third brother. But it undoes, the, the Mamar is undone enough that it releases the co-wife and she can now do Yibum with that third brother. So in a way, the get revokes the Mamar, but not in a way that it actually impacts uh, the woman who received the get's life. She's no longer allowed to do it because we don't want to get confused with different cases of gets. Because in the general principle is if a Yavam gives the Yavama a get before anything else was done, that's his way of showing, right? Instead of doing Chalitza, that he's not going to go through uh, with the Yavam. Okay. Ika to Amri. There are others who say differently about what Rava said. I'm a Rava. Natan get Lamama Ro. Somebody gave this get to the person, to the Yavama who he did Mamar with. Even she is allowed. So this would totally undo every aspect about the ma'amar. Even she would be allowed to that third brother. My taima, what's the reason? My da'vabad shakli. What? Because what, uh, that which he performed with her, he removed. So it's interesting. The first version of Rabbah says, yeah, it undoes the ma'amar, but it doesn't affect the person who the ma'amar was done to. In other words, they still can't do yibum. The Eka Amri version is that it undoes the mamar so much that she's actually eligible for yibum. So I think, again, this shows a little bit of the tension around mamar. Mamar is a rabbinic contract. Min Torah, you don't have to have it at all. So it makes sense. You know, here comes Rabbi to basically point out, like, be, you know, are you really going to allow sort of a undoing or reneging of a rabbinic construct to basically undo this, you know, Torah Con, you know, this Torah mitzvah of actually doing Yibam. And I think that's why, you know, I think that's why ultimately 
Ma'amar, whether you accept the first version where it's to some degree or the second version of Robert where it's to a full degree, Ma'amar is allowed to be undone. All right, Anne, any comments on that before I go to the Mishnah? Nope, take it away. Okay. All right, I'm taking it away. Okay. Shnei so now we have another, I, you call them word problems. I like to call them brain teasers. You call them word problems. That was your genius. I know, but I think I'm going with brain. I think I'm going with brain. I think I'm going with brain teasers. Okay. Okay, fine. We have a new one now. All right. Shnei achin nisuin shte achayot. So two brothers are married to two sisters. Umeda chad mihen. One of the brothers died. So let's say we have Reuven and Shimon. They're married to Rachel and Leah, right? Reuven's married to Rachel. Shimon's married to Leah. When, let's say, Reuven dies. So Reuven dies, childless, okay? And then uh, Leah, who's married to Shimon, dies. So in other words, there's no issue, right? The question is, is, is it really considered to be Eshet Achotel, right? Okay? But the Yavama, right, even though she's no longer the sister of his wife, right? Rachel's sister, uh, Leah, died. Right, she still is forbidden to Shimon for forever. Because she was forbidden to him at one time. And we've seen this concept before, but it's really demonstrated in this particular Mishnah, right? Once you are forbidden, in other words, let's say Ruvain and Sarah died an hour apart from each other. There was that one hour where Rachel could not be Shimon's Yavama because of, you know, you know, because they're sisters. So therefore... Um, you know, they're saying once you're forbidden, you're always forbidden. That forbiddenness can actually leave. So the Gemara says, Pshita. Okay, we know this. We saw this before. Right? So now just as there in the earlier Mishnayos, right, where there was a third brother, so the woman was not totally, di- like, totally dissociated from the household. Right? You, you could say, you said, right, Right. And you still said she can't go into Yibum because she was forbidden at one time here where there's a case of two brothers where she's completely dissociated from this household. Is it not even more the clear that she can't that she should not be allowed to go into Yibum? In other words, the Gemara is basically asking, why do you need this Mishnah? If it was true in the other cases with the three brothers, right? There where there was a possibility that she could do it with someone who there was no Easter with at all. Right, because there's that third brother. It should be even more so in this one. And so again, it says Tana had Tana Varesha, Vasharia, So it says the Tana taught this mission at first, right, where he actually taught that it was allowed that actually Rachel would have been allowed to marry Shimon, and he permitted it. And then later on, he saw no, it actually should be Usser. Therefore, and again, we have the same thing where he says, and since when he originally taught this case, it was it was unique, right? It was beloved to him and he taught it earlier. And we know a Mishnah does not move from its place. So it's, we have not, we've done many Masakto together, right? This is the first time we've seen this is particularly in Yavamot. This is the second time we've seen this concept of a Mishnah doesn't lose its place. There's something fascinating going on here with the Gemara that's very meta. They like the Mishnah to be tight. And every Mishnah needs to be there for a reason. And now they're finding like, no, no, these brain teasers, word problems, whatever we want to call the man, right? They seem to be repetitive a little bit. They're not necessarily a Chiddush, each one. Sometimes they're teaching the same thing. 
And in order to compensate for that, the Gemara is coming up with this reason of Lo Zaza. You know, the Tana loved this Mishnah, he kept it in, and we don't actually, we don't move a Mishnah what's, what, once it in. But ultimately, there's something about the Mishnayos that are in Yavamos, that rhymes, the Mishnayos that are in Yavamos that does not completely make the Gemara comfortable. Like, they're realizing, um, and, uh, you know, um, they're realizing that, like, there's some repetition here in the Mishnah. It's not as tightly constructed as, as other Masechta, which, I, again, leads me to believe that all of Yivon was confusing to Chazal. And that's why <laughs> the Masechta itself with the Mishnahs is not as tight of a Masechta as, as other Masechta. I mean, we've learned many, look how far into Dafyomi we are. We have never seen this concept of Lozaza before. So I feel like this is, you know, if it's a dis- dissertation that hasn't yet been written, or if we should go look to see if it has been written, right? There has been a tremendous amount of scholarship, meaning like academic scholarship, on the Mishnah, on things like this, on exactly this kind of issue. The problem is that um, I don't necessarily know what it all says. That's the problem. Right. And when, and when you're doing Dafyomi, I ask the question, but I don't necessarily have time to research it. Right, exactly. So, but I mean, listen, if any of you are co listeners or co learners want to research or find out whether anybody else has already done the research, that would be most welcome. And, but also, we're going to keep our ears and eyes open now for this question about the, the um, you know, it's not just the organizing principles of the Mishnah, it's whether this question of Lozaza, right? Is it, can it be moved? Is there ever a place where this gets, you know, comes up again outside of Yavamot? I mean, I don't mean even if it comes up again in Yavamot, although that will also be interesting. But also, you know, to what extent this this um, meta discussion about the nature of the structure and fixedness of the Mishnah um, is we're going to keep an eye, eye out for it. It's interesting. And I think it's important. Um, the fact that we don't have the answers does not mean nobody does. Um, some of the people I might want to ask most about this, the person who comes to mind is no longer alive. Professor Yaakov Elman, um, Zatzal. He oh, had he would have been a good, he would have been a good person to ask this to right. He had yeah. shots at his fingertips in in ways that most people do not, and he had an academic bent for exactly this kind of question. Um, his major work was on Rava, so at some point, I mean, he's done a lot of work on a lot of things, but in, he in, also has a book on, you know, the Tanaitic literature, including the Tosefta. It's I would have liked to be able to ask him, it, you know. This is a sad thing. Okay, um, but it's a good question, and we're going to keep our ears open, as I've just said, and and let's carry on. Okay, you're. I, I'm handing it off to you. Okay, thanks. Um, okay, so I am picking this up, you know, slightly after the beginning of the Gemara, after the Mishnah, and I'm really. It's the Gemara goes in a in a different direction. It's the Gemara is not talking about the fixedness of the Mishnah at this point, and it's talking about the content really. Tanarabanan. Brings a breita, ba aleh chayav aleh mishum eshet ach. Right, so we have here a case, right? The case of um, where if a man, and again, this is a breita, so like it's its own case, even though it's brought in conjunction with the mishnah and what's going on here, right? So this is if a man has uh, sexual intercourse with a woman, this woman who's forbidden to him, right? So then chayav aleh mishum eshet ach. He's he's liable. He's culpable for violating the prohibition against Eshet Ach, meaning the wife of your brother, meaning this is not a Yibum case yet, right? This is just a, you know, don't have sex with your sister-in-law. Mishum Achot Isha, 
Diva Ribiosi. And then the flip side of that, right, is the concern of Achot Isha, the wife's sister, right? So that's that's just Ribiosi's position, which seems to be, well, we'll see how it lines up. Rabbi Shimon Omer, so not surprisingly, Rabbi Shimon's opinion is a little bit more, I don't know, it's different, right? In this case, it happens to be more moderate, right? That it's the only violation here would be the Eshet Af violation and not the Achot Ishto violation, not the sister of his of his wife. V'hat Tanya, don't we also have a bright then? Rabbi Shimon Omer, one second. Now we're going to talk a little bit about, again, not the structuring of the mission exactly, but literally a contradiction in the Tanitic literature. Didn't Rabbi Shimon himself say that the chiyuv here is not Isha'ach, but but achot ishto? So on the one hand, it seems like, you know, I feel like we're throwing up balls in the air and seeing which of the prohibitions lands, so to speak. But on the other hand, the question of are you are you obligate are you liable? Are you obligated for two violations or only for one? And if only for one, which one is actually a pretty, you know, realistic, pragmatic kind of question. So the Gemara answers, Lo kashia. this is actually not a contradiction. So the wording of this sounds kind of strange, right? Literally, it translates to be here, um, when he married a, a living, you know, a living person, someone who's dead. But let's translate it. It's not that you're marrying someone who's dead. Rather, what happens? We've got the case where a living brother married his wife, right? And then the brother who is now dead married that sister. And lo and behold, we're back in Yavama, right? Meaning we're again, we've got the living brother who's married to he marries a wife. She has a sister who marries the brother, but that brother is no longer alive. So in the first, so what does it mean? It means that we end up with the case of Yibum from the second brother with the first wife's sister, okay? And so then the point is that, like, yeah, well, he, the person who she married, the second one married, is now dead. The, the second case, I mean, let's go back to the Gemara, where the concern is, is it achot ishto, or is it eshet ach, right? And the, so the Gemara says, well, in that case, it was where, let's make sure we get this right, that the first brother marries a sister, meaning he marries his wife, right? And then um, and then she has a sister whom then who and then the concern is like, how can the brother of that brother, how can the brother of that man marry the sister? Because isn't this a concern of Ishit of Achut Ishto? Right? Meaning she becomes forbidden to the brother because she's the brother's wife. And then what happens is the living brother marries the sister, which makes her prohibited also as the wife's sister. Okay, so if you wanted to set up a chart, you would have, I think anyway, I would have circles, uh, not circles, like arrows between the different couples because it kind of, this is one of the ways the Gemara doesn't use that many words. So then when we use all the words to spell it out, it becomes, in my estimation, head spinning. Um, and then we're going to have one more point here in Rabbi Shimon's view. Rabbi Shimon, in that case where, again, it sounds like she married the dead brother and then married the living brother. Again, that's not what it means, right? It's really where the, the deceased brother 
had been married to the sister before the other brother married the sister, in which case that sister becomes forbidden to the brother as achot ishto. No, I'm sorry, as as eshet ach. And then when the brother who's still alive marries the sister, but he's dead, the brother's dead. So then the concern is only, um, again, it's only eshet uh, ach and not achot ishto. Because the brothers no longer alive, why? Why is that? So this is Rabbi Shimon's opinion. Kevan disur achot isha lo So what does it mean that because the prohibition about achot ishto, the wife sister issue never never kicked in, right? It never kicked in because the after the husband dies, right? So now she's supposed to have yibum. Yibum kind of cancels out the expected prohibitions that would be in place if Yibun weren't overriding them. Now, all of this, again, head spinning, word games, brain teasers, however you want to think about it, what is actually going on here, I think, and this the next passage really kind of brings it up even more so, right? We end up with one prohibition that is followed by another prohibition. And the question then is, which prohibition wins? So Rav Ashi here, now this is, you know, later generation comments back, Amar Rav Ashi, Isur achot isha mitla tali vakai ipaka isur eshet ach ati isur achot isha vachayel vehilkach lo paka. So I'm going to stop after this, but I just want to explain the bit here that says, right, there's a prohibition about achot ishto, the wife's sister. And that, that prohibition is kind of like hovering in the air. It doesn't kick in yet, it hasn't kicked in yet. And then we get the prohibition against Eishet Ach, right? And then that Eishet Ach prohibition is canceled because of the way the death takes place, right? So which, in which case, the prohibition about Achot Ishto, <coughs> excuse me, kicks in. Meaning Achot, no, I'm sorry, Eishet Ach wins over Achot Ishto in terms of which prohibition is the greater concern. But once that prohibition is removed, then the second prohibition comes in. Right. And so all of this is then like the it's not I I I might be wrong about that. I feel like this kind of concern of one prohibition that fundamentally, you know, um, is either in effect or not in effect, but it can negate the situation of another prohibition is not the most common ways to stack to stack up Isurim, to stack up prohibitions. I'm sorry, on the next upload. We have a whole example of it in the case of Karbanot, right? And I, you know, read through it on your own. Um, but I think it kind of makes the point that, like, this is not the most common of worrying how it's all going to play out in terms of one Isur means that you can't do this, but one second, if the timing changes, that Isur falls. That's not the vocabulary here, meaning it's not really one prohibition on top of another prohibition. It's that they're both in play. But once one takes effect, the other one, at least certain, you know, depending on the opinion and, and depending on the details, the other one becomes irrelevant. But it might climb back into relevance if the first one is kicked out. So I found this discussion interesting because I, it made me think of Hilchot Shabbos a little bit, right? Like that whole idea. Right? Like, could no, you I- do two weeks there, right? Could you do two things at the same? Like if you did something, uh, an action that involved multiple 
melachot in one minute, you know, there was that whole discussion of how many chataot do you bring? It's, I don't know. It's interesting to me that kind of like that parallels not here. Like to me, it's an obvious answer. Okay, so you had two Isurim here. They can exist at the same time. But the Gemara doesn't like that. They actually really try to explore whether that's true. Um, I don't know that I can completely formulate in my head why with Erba that's the case as opposed to Hilchot Shabbos. Well, the other thing that I found interesting is that it's not considered an issue of Kimle Bedarabamine, which we talked about a long time ago and which we'll talk about more going forward. But this idea of when just, you have two Isurim... Just translate Isurim, what that is in case people... I'm going to, yeah, yeah. Um, Kimle established Bedarabamine by the greater of them so that if you have somebody who's like I don't know, <coughs> breaks somebody's property at the same time as they're also killing them, for example, right? Then you get exempted from the obligation or whatever for the payback of the items because, hello, we're going to put you to death because you've just murdered someone with witnesses and everything, right? Meaning you've done two violations in the same activity. You've broken halacha or mitzvot or whatever in the same activity. And if one of them is more stringent, more punishing than the other one, we only punish just the one. Meaning we give you the more stringent punishment and you're exempted from the lesser one. So right. what I find interesting here is that neither of these is considered lesser. Like one might kick in sooner, first, let's say, because of the way the marriages and the relationships take place. But it's not because it's not because achot ishto is less severe than eshet ach. They're of equivalence. It's just that how does it line up with the the one who's 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 alive? At what point does he predecease? You know, whom does he predecease in terms of setting up which prohibition when? Which is why those charts are useful. Yeah, I think that's an interesting way to look at it too. So I, I think there's a lot of parallel. Well, we don't make a parallel to other areas of halacha. There's something about Arayos that seems to be a little bit different. That's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Barber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.